0: This is Kara Oakleaf, director of Fall for the Book, a literary arts nonprofit based here at George Mason University in Fairfax, Virginia. Our 20th anniversary festival is coming up this year, October 10th to 13th, and more information can be found at our website, fallforthebook.org. We're pleased to be hosting this episode of Mason Out Loud and excited to talk with our guest, poet Matthew Zapruder. Matthew Zapruder is the author of four collections of poetry. His work has appeared in publications, including The New Yorker, The Paris Review, Tin House, and The Believer. An associate professor in the St. Mary's College of California MFA program and English department, he is also editor-at-large of Wave Books and has previously served as the editor of New York Times Magazine's Poetry Page. Zepp visited George Mason's campus on Thursday April 12th to talk with students about his recent nonfiction book, Why Poetry, an impassioned call for a return to reading poetry and an incisive argument for its accessibility to all readers. Matthew, welcome, and thanks for coming by to talk with us today.
1: I'm glad to do it. Thank you for having me.
0: So I want to talk about your your book, Why Poetry? Um, This is a book that tries to address those people who feel they just don't understand poetry. Um, For any number of reasons, there's an intimidation factor for a lot of readers. Um, And in the book, you mentioned that even you, someone who's a, a very accomplished poet, weren't one of those kids who read or particularly even cared much about poetry. So I wondered when you were younger, did you ever have any of those same experiences of, of feeling like you were just one of those people who didn't get it? And did that inform the way that you approached this book?
1: Yeah, I think I remember in high school sometimes, um, you know, trying to read some poem by Yeats or, um, you know, Eliot or something in, in high school English class and being sort of bewildered at what I was supposed to say about it or what I was supposed to be understanding about it and feeling this vague sense of unease around that. Um, I think generally I felt a lot of unease <laughs> at that age, so it probably just <laughs> dovetailed nicely with the larger unease, but yeah, but, uh, but, um, yeah, I think, yeah, sure. I totally remember that. And I, I, I think, but that wasn't so much the impulse for writing the book. It was more when I became a poet, running into people who constantly had this reaction, well, I don't understand poetry, I don't get it. Even people very close, to people in my family or close friends would Mm -hmm. just say they didn't understand, they didn't get it. And I thought, well, why is that and what can be done about it?
0: That's great, yeah. Um, One of the things the book addresses is how to approach a a poem literally. Um, And I really like this because I ask my own students to do this. And some of them look a little skeptical when they're asked Mm -hmm. to just look at what the words are actually saying rather than trying to crack some secret code that's going to reveal what the poet really meant um, and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about why you like to start uh, reading a poem on that more literal level
1: yeah I like that you said approach um, because I think that is the right word to use because it's it's the initial stage of reading the poem um, is just simply to try to Look at what actual words are on the page and what's what's going on, what the situation is, if there is one who seems to be speaking, if there's a speaker, all those kinds of basic questions that you would do without question with another form of writing. Um, I think you can do that and if those questions if you ask those questions and try to look at those things and you don't get any clear or direct answers from that, well then that's interesting too you know then you can talk about that so I just think that most people who read poetry or who write poetry do that instinctively, but the The great majority of other folks have gotten a different kind of message about poems, like you were saying, that the language is coded or that it's a secret message or some kind of riddle. And uh, you need to kind of, as a professor or a teacher, you need to sort of un unteach that lesson. Uh, but people, students can get it pretty fast, I think, usually, you know, if you...
0: Yeah, I think that's true. And a lot of students I've, I've noticed really kind of open up when um, when they're able to, to look at something a little more
1: literally. Yeah. And I try not to give a big lecture about that necessarily. I just say, OK, you know, what do you see in this poem? What's the, and, and then they'll jump in and usually someone will jump in and say something about the middle of the poem or the end of it. I say, wait, 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 let's back up. What's the title? You know, what's what wh- what is that saying? Where are we? Who's talking? And so I just try to model that type of reading for them sometimes. And then eventually, you know, they'll do it, too.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I like what you said about um, the way that that can kind of open up questions, because I think one of the things um, I want my students to notice is that um, often it's more a matter of, of a poem prompting you to ask those questions than finding a very particular answer.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think when well, you sound like you're a great teacher of poetry, because I mean, really the the that, you know, people go into poems so often they think, oh, well, I need to figure out what the answer is or what its big message is or what it's saying when well, just as you said, a lot of the time a poem is really exists in order to prov- provoke further questions, further mysteries, further imaginings, and uh, yeah, if you look at it that way, then you see that and you see the questions a poems asking or the or the dilemmas it's it's bringing forward or something, and that's not a problem about the poem. That's that's what makes it interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's much more interesting than finding like a definitive answer. I think. Um, you had published a couple collections of poetry before you started working on, on mm-hmm. why poetry and you've published two more collections during the years that you were writing this book. Um, did your writing process for poetry change at all as you were working on why poetry?
1: I think it did um, in, a, in a way that was related to the book, but not not directly related to it, because I think what happened is, is that when I began writing poems and I think this is true for so many writers in general, I had a vague notion of what audience was, you know, and that that it was very theoretical to me that there would be readers or audience, but I didn't actually understand that. But then as you write books and you become a more public author and you go out and give readings and you talk to your readers, you realize, Oh no, people are actually reading this. Like they're having experiences with this and they're carrying it into their lives in various ways. And that, fact like really beginning to metabolize that fact about writing um changed the way i thought about making poems and what they were for so 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 that that was going on during the time of writing the white poetry book so i'm not sure it was because i was writing the the book i think it was more because i was just being a poet who was out in the world more
0: Yeah, yeah yeah um One of the things I wanted to ask about is, I think at this, particularly at this moment in American history, um, even people who don't read much poetry are noticing a lot of the ways that it engages with the political landscape. And you talk a little bit in the book about how poetry is distinctly different from political rhetoric and that it shouldn't be something that's strictly utilitarian. Um, But you'd also mentioned, I think in your introduction, that over the course of this book, you came to believe that poetry does sometimes have social and political value and social political uses. Uh, Can you talk about how you came to that?
1: I think I came to it both from a wider, wider and deeper readings of poets who we would might traditionally consider political and also through my own, seeing in my own work, how I was continually drawn towards those um, subjects. I grew up in Washington, D.C. I come from a family where politics was everywhere. It was at the dinner table. It was around the conversations. Um, and um, as you know, that's this company town and, and, the, and, the, and the business is politics. And so um, so it was always a part of my life and something I cared about and thought about a lot. So it wouldn't be natural that that would work its way into my poems. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think it's a tough subject for poetry in a way because the language of politics lends itself so much to reductiveness and And repetitiveness and cliche, um, and that's that's just what the words of politics so often are, so it's it can be tough to break political concepts free of that of that type of rhetoric
0: yeah, yeah, definitely um, so in thinking about those people who feel like they don't understand poetry, do you have any uh, favorite poets or favorite poems even that you like to recommend for people who kind of want a place to start?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's I, I get this question a fair amount. I think it's a, it's, it's, it's a good question, but it's my first reaction is always to say, you know, it really depends on the person. So y- usually the best recommendations I can make are when I know somebody a little bit or a little bit of something about their life and just a little bit about what they're into, because there's just, you know, like any other form of art there's just so many manifestations of poetry. There's there's poems that are complex and full of ornate language. There's poems that are very simple. There's poems that are short. There's poems that are long, you know. Um, I, I have to say that a go-to poet for me is Frank O'Hara. It just seems that he's so lovel- incredibly lovable and incredibly charming and irresistible that even even the biggest skeptic, you know, if they hear a couple of, like, Classic Frank O'Hara poems like "Having a Coke with You" or "The Day Lady Died" or you know poems from Lunch poems. It's tough to resist those poems. I mean, and they, you're like, oh, that is kind of great. You know, my teacher James Tate is someone who I often will will recommend to people. I mean, he's a particular kind of taste, but um, but he he's also a. Um, like a converter of people to poetry a lot of the time so
0: he is i remember james tate being one of the poets i read as an undergrad and yeah like, oh maybe, maybe i am into this
1: well and people one reason i brought up both those poets is that they um they're funny and i think people think poems can't be funny or they think only silly poems are funny right um and and you know most of the poets i know are at least witty in their mm-hmm. poems if not funny i mean it's rare to Find a deadly serious poet who's. I mean, I, I guess there are, there are plenty who are good. And for students who are politically engaged, or ones who are, or not students, or just people who are really into political. You know, there are all kinds of. You know, you can recommend Audrey and Rich. You can recommend Audrey Lord. You can recommend, you know, just there's Amiri Baraka. There's there's lots of lots and lots of poets that you you know are more, um, you know, kind of like can engage that part of somebody's interest too. if, if, if that's why, as I said, I like to know a little bit about the person first, what they're into.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, it's always interesting uh, in teaching, especially to see what poets students respond to.
1: What like, poets have you noticed that they respond to?
0: Uh, we just finished doing uh, Ada Lamon's book, Great oh, yeah. right Dead Things, and a lot of my students really, really
1: love She's that. a good friend of mine. and She's okay. she's she's a really, she's, she's a very, very strong poet and really great. She has a great new book that is just coming out called The Carrying. I, um,
0: I am anxiously waiting for it. It's, it's, it's terrific. It's on my pre-order list.
1: Yeah, well, you're going to be pleased when you get it. Yeah.
0: All right, excellent. Um, and before we go, um, I wondered if you would mind reading one of your poems for us.
1: I would not mind at all. Thank you for asking. Great. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um so yeah, so this poem is um uh there's a there's a I don't know if our listeners will know this, but there's a magazine uh that is in Amtrak, you know, and every month, you know, so it's called the national, which is actually a really cool name for a magazine, I think. Um, so they, uh, and each, each month they ask a poet to write a poem for the, for the magazine. And they say it didn't have to be about trains when they asked me, but of course I wanted to write about trains because I love trains. And my son, who's three years old, loves trains. He has nothing to do with this poem, but, but, um, anyway, this is sort of about that kind of solemn feeling of suddenly being all on the train together and, maybe what that has to do with being a citizen. Um, It's called Poem for Passengers. Like all strangers who temporarily find themselves moving in the same direction, we look out the window without really seeing or down at our phones, trying to catch the dying signal. Then the famous lonesome whistle so many singers have sung about blows and our bodies shudder Soon we will pick up speed and pass the abandoned factories there has lately been so much conversation about. Through broken windows they stare, asking us to decide. But we fall asleep next to each other, riding into the tunnel, sharing without knowing the same dream. In it we're carrying something, an empty casket, somehow so heavy, only together can we carry it over a bridge in the snow. Emerging suddenly into the light, we wake and open our laptops, or a book about murder, or a glossy magazine. Though we are mostly awake, part of us still goes on solving problems so great they cannot be named. Even once we have reached our destination and disembark into whatever weather, for a long time there is a compartment within us Filled with analog silence. Inside us, the dream goes on and on.
0: And that was Matthew Zapruder reading Poem for Passengers. His latest book is Why Poetry. Matthew, it was a pleasure to talk with you, and thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: And thanks to all of you for listening to this episode of Mason Out Loud. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at at Mason Out Loud, and please remember to visit fallforthebook.org for information about this year's festival. Thanks again for joining us and happy reading.